Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, for he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to stop right there. This is one unit of thought. And although I hope, Lord willing, to get through two verses, uh, maybe we'll get through a little more, but we shall see. But uh, I'll try not to overdo it, because this single thought, this single unit, the potential of this is speaking of a living faith. Remember, we've talked about how the test of genuine faith all the way through James has been giving us the test of genuine faith. And here's another series of tests that we can look at ourselves, examine and see if our faith is genuine. So we've talked about that before. It's one thing to say that you believe. But now James is saying, let's see your life. Let's see the change in your life. You can go through the motions, but in the end, your life proves where your faith is. And all through this epistle, James has been giving us, remember the first test was the test of trials, and then there's how we would respond to temptations and who you blame for those temptations. And then there was how do we react to the word of God? Do you receive it and obey it? Are you a doer of the word or only a hearer? Then how do we respond to people in need? Do you have true religion that reaches out to the fatherless and the widows? Do you demonstrate like chapter two outlines that we show partiality with some people or that we have great compassion for all people. Well, there's also that really comprehensive test of our works. And we see in chapter 2, verse 14, and following on that James says, if your faith is real, it's going to be proven in your life, and your faith is going to work out. Otherwise, he said your faith was dead. And then there's the test of the tongue in chapter 3. The tongue was a test of our true salvation. And then the test of our transformation, for out of the mouth comes the evidence of really what's in our heart. And James has been reiterating that what Jesus said, that it's what in the heart, what's in the heart that produces 
the speech, the vocabulary, all of those things that we're doing. So we've studied all of that. And at the end of chapter three, we saw the other test of living faith that is using wisdom, that there is a wisdom from above. And if we're using godly wisdom, that was opposite of that which was earthly and sensual demonic. All of those he's been comparing back and forth. And so here's another key to showing that our life is really right with God. And it's the attitude toward the world. That's what he's talking about in this whole section. What is our attitude toward the world? For to be a friend of the world, he says, is to be an enemy of God. And it's not so much that you're God's enemy as it is that God becomes your enemy which is really, think of it, a really fearful perception that if we go with the world, then God becomes our enemy. You can't have both. We can't serve both. And typically, as James really is unfolding all of these tests in, this, in his epistle, he cycles back. Remember, that was the Jewish way of writing. We've spoken of that, how he says something that was already introduced, because back in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in that typical writing style, he's introduced the subject, and now he's going to come back and speak on this in a little more fullness. He's told us that the definition from being separated from the world was to be unspotted, unstained, unsoiled from the world. So now we're going to look at that a little more. So he introduces us to the concept of the friendship of the world. And I hope this morning that we can really look into that and delve into that about the danger of being too involved in this world. Now we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So here is the means to identify the danger. Friendship with the world puts a person in great danger. Anyone in the state of loving the world, which means that we're seeking its values, which means that we're looking for the things that would be pleasurable, the values of this world over that which is of the Lord, over God. So we've got to face the fact that we would be in serious danger when we begin to see or to think like the world and act like the world and take in the world's principles. We've got to recognize the danger is spelled out one by one here in the Word. And we remember that it's really going to be shown in one word that I've called today's message, conflict. Here is conflict. I believe James is really going to define worldliness primarily as conflict. And I hope that you'll see that as we go through these verses. Have you noticed the conflict that's in our world? It's in the news media. Always the media, right? It's all about conflict. It, or I should say mostly about conflict. But you don't have to watch in order to see it. If it's not escaping your attention, you'll see it in simple every conceivable level of life. It's all around us. There's conflict in every arena of human existence. You see it in the families. You see it in our nation. You see it exist in the heart of a worldly person warring against one another. 
And we're going to examine that. Where does all of this conflict, all of this hatred, all of this conflict, all of the animosity, all this anger and all the rage that we see all around the world, where is this coming from? Well, it's in the littlest things and in the biggest things. Have you ever been driving along and somebody just believes that you did them wrong? That you did something to them? It's something within the heart of man. It's something that's happening around in our society. Everything that it touches is literally becomes a victim of those hostilities. But if you're a friend of the world, and James is going to show us three dimensions of this conflict. Conflict with others, conflict with self, and conflict with God. And that's where my message is today. All three of those really rise out of the primary issue that the world is looking for self. Everyone is out for themselves in this world. Everyone wants to do that just what I can get. And the world is full of people living for themselves. So there you for you have that inevitable conflict. It's going to happen. So you start with the implication that we see in verse 1, that conflict with others. What does he say? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Let's look at that. Whence wars and whence battles among you? That's the literal. I have to say here, this is one place where King James really got it right. If you're using your King James Bible, you, you'll see it. It talks about whence came wars, whence came battles. And so, in other words, where do wars come from? Where do the battles come from that are among you? And among you is the, right there. It's, that's the idea. It's right among us. It's best understood that the conflict of this, this was an agitated relationship that was happening in the Lord's church. Because remember, James is writing, they're writing Jewish people, but they were Christians. And he's writing them to let them know, because there was something that was happening within their churches that, where they were. There was an re agitated relationship between people in the church and some kind of internal tension by individuals. That's what he's addressing we're going to get into talking about the internal war, the internal fighting, but here he's talking about a conflict in the church, a serious, a continual conflict. Have you ever been in a church that's in war with each other? How sad, but it's, it's very true. And here the statement is that James uses is really, um, how do I say it, a kind of a pungent statement. It's because it, he didn't give it a definite verb, but he spits out adverbs twice, wince. And then he kind of goes on and it adds a punch when he says, wince wars, wince battles among you. How did this happen? Where did these come from? That's what he's getting at. That's what he's, so he uses the plural for wars, and it comes from a Greek word, polemos, which we get polemic, and it speaks of conflict. And then the word wars kind of carries the idea of a continual conflict. So he uses also a word battle, which is a different word, mock which means kind of a separate fight. 
where he uses a state of, he's talking about a continual state of warfare, and then he comes around and he talks about individual battles that fill in this prolonged state that's going on. And so from both of these, he's really expressing, in a sense, in the present tense, whence wars and fightings and battles among you? And it seems to be a continual condition within the people, within that church. So James uses some very violent vocabulary here. Look at verse 2. What he says, You lust and do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Do you see the violent words that he's used, that violent vocabulary? Lust, kill, fight, wage war, strong language. And he chooses that terminology because it, he's talking about the destructiveness that conflict has within the church and in the Lord's churches. And it appears that this conflict was happening because some of the people in the church were deeply in love with God and other people were deeply in love with the world. That's what this context is going to bear out. That's what we're going to see. You have some people that are sold out, they're going after the world, some people that are sold out for the Lord. That's going to cause a conflict in the church. James uses this, this conflict in the church and he's, that was not by God's design. Jesus, John 13, 34, and 35, and these are in your notes, that Jesus told his disciples that we are to love one another so all men will know that you are my disciples. In John chapter 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he talked about that we would love one another to bear his name properly. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he pleaded that they would be of the same mind and the same opinion that they would speak the same things rather than saying, because they were walking around saying, well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Cephas or, or, or I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos. They all were factioned. Paul said, you've got to be of the same mind. I'm of Christ and so forth. And that's why Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1 and verse 27, a beautiful verse. And he says, I want you to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In the second chapter, he says, I want you to have the same love one for another, being of one accord, of one mind. You see, that's his idea. That was God's design, that we come under God's love and God's word, and therefore we are like-minded. And we're now caring more for others rather than for self. And yet in the church, the conflict was a great reality. Paul said to the church that was in Corinth in chapter 3 that he couldn't even speak to them as mature people because they were in such conflict and there was such hostility one toward another. It happens in the Lord's churches. Sad. Satan is in the business of religion. He wants to bring people in that are of the world so that he can pull down the Lord's churches. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 4, verse 20, I fear lest when I come I will not find you such as I would, and that I'll find you as I would not, but there would be no debatings or envyings or wrath or strife or backbiting or whisperings and conceit and disorders. Who wants to be involved in a church like that where there's backbitings and deceit and all those terrible things? Paul wrote to Timothy 
in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and he talked about how to handle conflict in the church. He told this young pastor, he said it was because there were false teachers, and false teachers bring up false standards. These false teachers were given some kind of a platform. They were given some kind of a place. And it was happening in this Jewish congregation that James is talking about. There's somebody that's bringing in worldly concepts, and it's causing this great conflict. And it was happening because you had lovers of God and lovers of the world in the same. Hot terminology. Think about the change from... Well, if I said hot terminology in chapter 4, cool terminology in chapter 3. Because look back in chapter 3, 17 and 18. Look at the change that happens here. Remember, chapter and verse came much later. But the wisdom which is first pure, from above, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a difference. Beautiful words of, of peace and of wisdom. The fruit of righteousness. All of those things. And now we go and we look at chapter 4. Where are the war? Where are the wars? Why are you battling? And why are you having all this hot difficulties. Why? And so he gets down to that. He gives us a real definite answer. It's in the bitter envying, the strife in the hearts, that wisdom that doesn't come from above, we found that in chapter 3, verse 14, is of the world. It's from the demons. It is sensual. It's earthly. And that's where the striving and the strife comes from, the envyings, the confusion, the evil deeds. So what he's saying here is, look, you have some people who are claiming to know Christ, but they demonstrate something very different because their life isn't backed up. And then you have those that demonstrate the wisdom that does come from God. You have those that demonstrate that peaceable attitudes and all of the great Fruits of righteousness, so they claim to know truth, God's truth, and they demonstrate it in the wisdom that comes from God. That's the test at the end of chapter 3. And that same test carries over into chapter 4. Where do these wars and fightings come from? Certainly not from the people who had the wisdom that came from God. Those are not the attributes of a child of God. The peaceable, easily to be entreated, the gentle, the very wars that he talks about in chapter 4 are evidence of a worldly wisdom that's in conflict. Small wonder there's conflict in a church where there were wheat and tares mixed together, where some were friends of God and some were friends of the world. Well, the final two verses of James chapter 5, he's going to wrap up this epistle in talking about that he's bringing people to a, a place of understanding the true salvation, that these tests are to awaken them, whether their faith is true or not. And so he assumes that in the first statement in verse 1, that there is a conflict with others. And interesting enough, it's an enemy of every other friend of the world. In one sense, because you love self. So if you love the world, and if you are a friend of the world, a lover of the world, and you've set your affections and things on this world, you're consumed with your own lust, your own pride, you're going to be in conflict 
with other people around you. So unsaved people, people without the genuine salvation, are even going to be in conflict with other lovers of the world. Why? Because self. I want what I want. Now, I've often joked and I've told lots of people that, well, when everyone agrees with me, we get along. You know, because I know I'm right, right? Well, what is that? That's showing self, right? That's showing, wait a minute, if you do it my way. You see, because everybody, we've got the better way. We think we know what's right. But that's why in this world, in this world system of things, everyone is out for themselves and they're in conflict with everyone else who's out for self. So secondly, and we'll look at this just briefly because we're going to pick up on this, Lord willing, next time. Not only does friendship with the world create conflict with everybody that's around because everybody's got their own personal priorities, but it generates a conflict within the person. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions on a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.